0: And amen. Stand with me for just one more moment and then we're going to sit down. If you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. While you're turning, listen. When we get into the presence of the Lord like this, there's a weight that I carry, that Pastor David carries in these moments that our staff and leaders carry that when we're in the presence of the Lord our goal is to get God what He desires. And if that looks like we would just worship the whole day that's what we do. If it looks like praying and laying hands on people and prophesying that's what we do. Some days it's harder wrestling with that than others because what I have to preach today isn't going to make you feel very good, but it is the word of the Lord. And where the word of a king is, there is power. So the same spirit that we've been sitting in in worship is present in His word. Yes. Secondly, the Bible says in Hosea that Judah plows. A plow breaks up the hard ground. There's a reason that, that most churches, it may have started as something one church did and everybody caught on, but there is a spiritual reason that we do worship at the front and then preach the word because praise, which is Judah, breaks up the ground of my heart and spirit so that the seed of God's word can find good soil. So I want you to just, before we read this scripture, just put your hands out like this, one hand, two hands, whatever you got. And I just want you to say, Holy Spirit, find good ground in my heart today. That I might reap the fruit of your word. Matthew 18, verse 21, beginning. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times but up to seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain man who wanted to settle accounts with his servants and when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. But he would not, and he went and threw him in prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay that what was due. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Holy Spirit, I pray that the same flow and the same anointing and the same... Presence that has been in this room as we have worshipped and prayed that we would stay locked in To receive from your word Your word is life to us Your word speaks to us And Lord I pray that you would speak to us today Convict us today comfort us today By your word and Holy Spirit And we give you thanks and it's in Christ's name. We pray and everyone said Amen and amen. You can be seated in Jesus name. Is there anybody in the room that loves his presence? I love his presence. Today I want to conclude our series on the plumb line. Uh, if you have been here the last several weeks or if you haven't, uh, God I believe is dropping a plumb line in his church where he is establishing and he is making certain that we are building according to his standard and not according to our own yes Uh, because man's standard will not stand up against the test of fire man's standard will not stand up against the test of fire only God's will stand and uh, as we conclude our series today something the Lord has been dealing with me I I preached a message that's This is different, but it's very similar because it's on the same topic at the beginning of this year when we did our Made Whole series to start the year off. Um, Let me tell you something. If you cannot forgive, you will never reach the potential God has for you. If you cannot operate in true forgiveness, you will not reach the level God has for you. You can worship in this great atmosphere that we have in this room. You can sing all the songs you want to. But if you want to be more in your life, and you, (laughs) let me just, can we just be plain? If you want to go to heaven, you've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. First and foremost, we're going to find that forgiveness is a battle of the wills. Forgiveness is a battle of the wills. Matthew 18, 21, we just read it a moment ago, says this, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but I say up to 70 times seven. So here we have a question. And of course, if you know anything about the Bible, of course it would be Peter. Who asked the question regarding forgiveness. Forgiveness how many times do I have to forgive them instead of just throwing fists or how many times do I have to forgive them before just cutting them off Peter wants to know how many times can they do something to me that then I'm allowed to do something back now the rabbinical teaching of that day we read in historical text tells us that the rabbis taught That you could forgive someone three times and that was enough. That after the third time, you didn't have to forgive him anymore. After three times, cut the cord, goodbye, adios, never going to talk to you again. Whenever Jesus says the words, I do not say. You better perk up and listen. Because Jesus is getting ready to shred the average and rabbinical teaching of that day. Jesus in Matthew 5, he begins to set a new tone for his disciples. Blessed are the peacemakers for the the Beatitudes, all the things. Multiple times through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we read the phrase, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have lived this way, but I tell you. Jesus was setting a new standard for his disciples to live in, and here he is going to do the, th- the same thing. Peter is saying, well, the rabbis say three, but I know you're not the rabbi, so is seven okay? Right. Come on, how many of you in the room can, can lock in with Peter and say, that probably would have been me, right? I'm tired of being the bigger person all the time. Some of you, that just hit you in a really deep place tired to being the bigger person and and you know sometimes because here's the deal forgiveness is a is a battle for maturation the quicker you can forgive it shows the maturity in the spirit you have reached and a faith not tested is a faith that can't be trusted so there are times that God will allow someone else's brokenness to hit a wound in you to test you to see if you remember what he's asked of you and so so it's a battle of the wheels Peter says seven times Jesus said I don't say to you three times I don't even say to you seven times but I'm telling you seventy times seven which for all the math geniuses in the room is 490 the principle here is not okay I just have to forgive him 490 times and, and it's over the principle is just forgive them just forgive them. No matter how many times they hurt you, you are called to forgive. And Jesus said up to 70 times 7. So here's the reality. Forgiveness is a battle of the wills. Here, here is the reality. The, the, the struggle to forgive reveals a struggle in the will. You said, what do you mean? My will would be if they hurt me, cut them off. Don't talk to them again. Don't think about them again. They're no longer part of my life. I am, they are cut out. And some of you have mastered cutting people out of your life. You have mastered removing people from your life. And I'm not saying that there comes a moment in time that somebody is toxic and you got to set boundaries. I am not saying that. But cancel culture has made it so if they do something to you once or they hurt your feelings You're done. No second chances. No grace. No mercy. And I cannot express to you how unbiblical that line of thinking is. I can't I can't help but tell you this morning that is not how a disciple responds And and so the battle of the wills is that you have your will or the will that feels good to your flesh and you have his will. So there's this constant tension. Because, because listen, Peter says, but the rabbis say. And, and let's be honest, what the rabbis said would have been a lot easier than what Jesus said. Have you ever recognized that? About the, the, your will? When you're standing in the tension between your will and his, 99, no, no, no. of the time your will is going to be much easier than his Have you ever recognized that? Do you now understand why Jesus said things like the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak? Do you now understand why Jesus said narrow is the way to salvation and broad is the way to destruction? Because the will of the flesh is to please the flesh the will of God is is to crush the flesh and so forgiveness is a battle of the wills and Peter says Lord three times seven times because that would be easier but Jesus said I'm, I'm not saying what they're saying my will is not their will and their will is not my will I am telling you are going to have to forgive 70 times 7 you are going to have to forgive to the point you lose count you got to forgive to the point you lose count And, and, and what it comes down to is you have got to decide whose disciple you're going to be because peter growing into this moment had been the rabbi's disciple he had grown up in Jerusalem. He had grown up in all their schooling. He had, he had been taught the Torah. He knew all those things. He knew how to pray. And so he's rehearsing to Jesus just three times because that's what the rabbis taught us, just three times. Oh, but you're coming, and you seem to be kind of elevating the standard here. So are you going to go to seven? And Jesus says, no, I am taking this standard, and we are going higher than you thought we could go. The will of God Or my will you cannot be a disciple of God and also be a disciple of someone else You are either his disciple or you are not And if you are his disciple There are measurements There are expectations of us as disciples If you're with me say I'm there Some of you were with me in the beginning and now you're starting to just kind of trail off because you know where we're going. Lock in. Open up. God wants to touch your heart today. So let's talk about the will. First and foremost, our will has to be transformed. Somebody say transformed. Our will has to be transformed. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 beginning, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Here's what Paul was saying in Romans. In view of God's mercy. How many of you have have taken advantage of God's mercy? You are saved. You're on your way to heaven. Oh, just about six of you. Okay, then the whole message is changing right now. I said, how many of you have taken advantage of God's mercy? You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. God has touched you. Come on. In view of all that he's done for you. In view of all he's done for you, here's what he says, present yourself as a sacrifice. I've told you this time and again, I'll tell it to you until it really clicks with you. In the Old Testament, the rams, the lambs, the goats, the doves, they were all the sacrifice. Slit their neck on the altar, lay them there, the blood, the, the smell of blood and singeing hair would rise to the Father, and it was a sweet aroma to the Father. You know who the sacrifice is in the New Testament? You. Me. No longer am I I cutting animals and laying animals on the altar. I get on the altar. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. And if we're honest, the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps getting up off the altar. If we're honest about it, living sacrifices keep getting up off the altar. That's why Paul said, I die daily. I've got to make the decision to crucify my will, to crucify my flesh. So present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is the least you can do. Think about that. He's saying present your whole self to the Lord. Holy and acceptable unto God. And it's the least you can do. Some of you think the least you can do is get up on Sunday morning and come to church. And the most is giving everything. That's not what the Word said. The Word said the least we can do is to give everything. The least, we can, the least I can do in view of His mercy is to put my will on the altar, to put my desires on the altar and die. Y'all with me still? And then he says this, don't be conformed to the world. This, this, this word world here means age or era. Do not be conformed to this age. This age. You, do you know that this age and era has their own God? You know that? He's not our God. He's the prince of the power of the air. And he roams the earth. And, and he's deceiving people. People are are deceiving and being deceived. That's what the Bible said in Matthew 24, that as we led to the last days, people would be deceived and would be deceiving. He's the prince of the power of the air. Their God, that's what it says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Some of you look at what's going on in the world and you say, what in the world is happening? Their minds have been blinded. Their morals have been blinded. Their humanity has been blinded. Their their, their morality, the, the, the reasoning of their mind to see what is right versus what is wrong and what is good versus what is evil. It's all been jumbled because the God of this age has blinded them. And he said, don't be conformed to them. That's, that's why I preach so passionately about standing for truth, and it's why I preach so passionately about defending our children. It, you know, can I stop here for a minute? This has nothing to do with forgiveness, but I'm going to say it anyways because if the pulpits don't say it, nobody will. I watched a video this week of a drag show on the streets of a city, and, and the drag queen, whatever, was saying, We're coming for your children. And then they want to say, We're not coming for your children. But tell you that if you listen real closely, the devil will speak. If you just listen real closely, you'll find the devil speaking through this whole agenda. And that's why I preach so passionately because we cannot be conformed to the age we're living in. So you say, Pastor, what does this have to do about forgiveness? Nobody out there is practicing forgiveness. Nobody out there is practicing reconciliation. If you hurt me, you're canceled. If you you misuse me, you're canceled. If you do something wrong to me, you're done. And, And out there, that might be okay, but in the body of Christ, it ought not so to be. We should not be conformed to this age, but we are transformed. This word transformed is the Greek word metamorpho. It means to change in essential manner. It is the same word that was used when Jesus transformed on the Mount of Transfiguration. We are changed and no longer the way we used to be. Our will is changed in its very essence. When I am transformed by the renewing of my mind through the reading of the Word and spending time in His presence and praying unto God, when I am transformed in that manner, do you know what begins to happen? My will in my flesh begins to die. And I take on the will of the Father. What happens? I am now transformed by the renewing of my mind. I do not, you know, people out there ought to look at you. And I'm not saying in here like we're some sort of social club. People out there ought to look at you out there and say, you don't belong here. There's something a little bit different about you. You don't really fit in here with the rest of us. What's the deal? I have been transformed by the renewing of my mind. So the things you laugh at, I don't think are funny. The jokes you tell, I don't tell. The beliefs you hold, I don't hold. No matter how much you want to shove them down my throat, I don't. You don't forgive, I do forgive. You cancel, I don't cancel. We are not the same. I don't belong here. That's the whole premise of discipleship. I'm being transformed into his image. And and so we're, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We renovate our understanding and here's the reality. God. Gets the glory. At the end of the day God gets the glory out of my life. So my will first has to be transformed, second my will has to be decreased. John 3 and 30 said he must increase and I must decrease. The word increase here means to become more important. The word decrease means to decrease in status and rank. So the whole idea of the will of a believer is that everything about me decreases in status. What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 3? He said I count all things as Dung just that I might know him Think about Paul who had all the accolades He, he, He was rich in terms of worldly riches He was one of the king's right-hand man. He was sitting by the king everywhere to persecute Christians, or by the emperor everywhere to persecute Christians. Paul had it made. Probably could have gotten anything he wanted and yet Paul said, everything that I've gained, everything that I've ever had means nothing if I can just know you. If I can just know you, I have to come down I have to come down. See, 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 we look at Christianity as this like priority list, right? He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors. He, he gave some to do this, prophets and this, and he gave gifts of administration and help. He gave this. And we look at this in tiers of, of influence. Do you want to know that the, the greatest ministry of the apostle, one of them, is to take away your ability to boast in yourself? How many times did Paul say, it's not of works lest I should boast. I don't boast in myself, but I boast in my weakness. That Christ is able to take this weak vessel and to do something mighty through him. And so what, what was Paul practicing? His will was being decreased. While the will of the Father was being increased. If you're not getting it, let me help you. It is God's will for you to forgive. Then third my will has to be denied Matthew 16 24 then Jesus said to his disciples if anyone desires to come to me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me the word deny here means to claim no knowledge or relationship with to reject the NLT says of this verse you must turn from your selfish ways the NLV says you must forget all about yourself the point if you want to follow him Your will doesn't just become secondary. You don't consult or consider your will at all. Some of us say, well, if I don't like what Jesus is saying, I'll just do what I want to do. You're not a disciple. Listen, some of you are like, well, that's kind of hard. That's what the Word said. I don't have the liberty of, of sugarcoating the Word. If we don't do what He says... And we don't deny ourselves, we cannot be his disciples. And, and at the American church, it has been more about conversion than it has been discipleship. We have millions upon millions of people who have been converted but have never taken the journey of being a disciple. Becoming more like him and learning from him and becoming in his image. You know, I was, I was listening to this song on the way into church today. We used to sing it a long time ago. Uh, I'm on an old song kick right now, and I'm telling you, I'm dangerous. If you start singing 1990s to early 2000s, I'm a dangerous man. Y'all lose me for a couple hours if we start going there. We should sing this song. uh, I want to be more like you, Jesus. I want to be a vessel you work through. I want to be more like you. I was driving into church today, and I was thinking, I really want to be more like him. And I just began to think about all the areas that I'm not like him. He say, well, that's condemnation. No, that is, that's conviction. Lord, I, I, all these areas the Holy Spirit starts pointing out, you need, you need, I need to help you in this area. I need to mold you here. And I say, yes, Lord, come and mold me because I want to be like you. And then I think about forgiveness, and I think about how he operated in forgiveness, and he denied his own will, and he got up on the cross, and even in his dying breath he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Am I really like him in that area? I had to ask myself that question. Am I really like him like that? I don't know. I think if we're honest in here today, I think we could all say, I need to be more like him. And to be more like him, I've got to deny me more. So forgiveness is, is a battle of the wills. Secondly, forgiveness because we've been forgiven. Because we've been forgiven. Let's dive into this for a minute. The master in this story, this, this man comes and his servant, and he's saying, I, I owe you so much. He falls down on the ground and says, Be patient with me. I want you to, I want you to check this out. Here, here is the debt. He owed 20 years worth of wages. We're not talking about like a $100 loan, he owed several hundred thousand dollars. To this master. The dilemma, he's unable to pay. The despair, he begged, be patient. The debt canceled. We had a debt we could not pay. We can live for a thousand lifetimes and never repay the debt we owe. Come on, some some of y'all need to remember how you were before your debt got canceled. I'm not talking about money debt. I'm talking about spiritual debt. You were a sinner lost in sin. See, some of y'all can remember that old song, I was sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters rescued me safe in my... And then that chorus said, love lifted me. Some of you need to remember we had a debt we couldn't pay. We owed so much to him that if we live for the next a million lifetimes we could never pay it back. But thank God for the cross and thank God for the blood of Jesus that said in Ephesians 1 and 7 in whom we have redemption by his blood the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. In Hebrews 9 22 the Bible said that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin, and then we start reading things like this. In Isaiah one nineteen, he said, "Come now, you who are." He said, "Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, I'll make them white as wool." In Revelation one and five, the Bible said unto him who loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. In Revelation chapter seven verse thirteen. John is standing and he sees the multitude of the redeemed singing. And the elder asked him, who are these? And John said, you know. And the elder said, these are they which have come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. In Revelation 12, 11, we read that we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And I wonder on this Sunday morning, is there anybody in the room who is Glad to be forgiven of a debt you could not pay. You couldn't work it off. You couldn't sing it off. You couldn't shout it off. You couldn't dance it off. There was only one way that debt got canceled, and it was in a man named Jesus coming down from his throne in heaven, wrapping himself in a robe of flesh, getting up on a cross and dying a death that you and I deserve. I've been forgiven. Uh, somebody shout, forgiven! Yeah. I've been forgiven. My debt has been canceled. I want you to listen, though. I want you to catch this with me because here is the finality of the canceled debt. This, this servant comes and he says, be patient with me. In, in the Greek, what he's basically saying is, can we just extend the payment one year? If you give me one more year, I can pay it here's the reality folks there is no amount of works that could ever save you there is no amount of serving that could ever save you if works could save then the whole earth could be saved in 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 two three years it is not of works that we could be saved it is not of works lest any man should boast he said just give me one year and the master said, I have so much pity on you. I'm not going to just give you a year to pay it. I'm going to cancel it. I'm gonna, it's canceled. 20, ye- let's just sit here for a minute so some of you can just let this sit in your soul. 20 years worth of debt. <laughs> How many of you have ever loaned money to a friend or somebody, you know, you know, just throw your hand up, you loan money to somebody? How many of you loaned money and never got paid back? Be on, I like the honesty in the room. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you how many of you have been loaned money and never paid it back. I won't do that. <laughs> You've loaned money and you never got paid back. How many of you, if you're being, being honest in the room, have felt a certain way about that? Okay, the honesty died real quick. Okay. How many of you felt a certain way about that right now? How do you think Jesus has felt? We have a debt we can't pay. How how do you think this master felt? This wasn't just a hundred dollars. Twenty years worth of payment. And the master, full of grace and love, said, Done. Cancelled. Then the story shifts. The parable shifts. To the servant. The unfor- somebody say unforgiveness. To the unforgiving servant. He, here was his, here's the, the list for him. The unforgiving servant, servant was owed one day's wage. His friend was unable to pay. He, his friend begged and pleaded, be patient, the same manner that the servant had begged and instead of forgiving and canceling the debt, the servant demanded he be paid now and threw him into prison until he could pay. Unforgiveness, let's talk about it for just a moment. I'm gonna to try to hurry through this, but it's important. First thing you've gotta recognize about unforgiveness, unforgiveness begins in offense. Somebody has said something about you, Somebody did something to you. Somebody, whether advertently or inadvertently, hurt you. Anybody in the room ever been offended by something? Yeah. And all of a sudden, if you're not careful, that offense begins to churn on the inside of you and become unforgiveness. Um, Hurt so you need to write this down. Pain is inevitable. Offense is a choice. You are going to get hurt. You might even get offended initially, but to stay offended is a choice that you make. And, 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 and so Matthew, Matthew 24 tells us in verse 10 that offense is a sign of the last days. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. This word offended means a snare or an occasion to fall, the trigger on a trap. Many will fall into the trap of offense. Did you know that the devil wants you to be offended? He wants to offend you. He wants to trap you. He wants to trick you. It speaks to, to a, a trap that it, it, it's a trigger on a trap that you get offended. Somebody says something about you. Somebody says something that triggers something. And now all of a sudden, you're caught. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. There's some of you in this room that you are thinking about someone else while I'm preaching. You need to turn your eyes here. It could be that the Holy Spirit is trying to help you today. It triggers a trap. I don't know where it comes from. Maybe it came from your childhood. Maybe it came from your teenage years. Maybe it came just because it hurt. It didn't have to come from anywhere. It just hurt. It triggers a trap, and now you're stuck. And when you stay stuck, it turns to unforgiveness. Karen Schwartz is an MD, and she says it like this. Chronic anger puts you into heightened fight or flight mode which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, diabetes, among other conditions. Unforgiveness affects everything in your life. It affects everything in your life. Unforgiveness then, turns into bitterness. You sit with that long enough, I can't stand that person then you go talking about them which is gossip which we talked about last week I can't stand that person I can't believe they did that I, I can't I, I just I can't forgive them I cannot find it in myself to forgive them good it's not a, it's not yourself that gives you the power to forgive them it's the Holy Spirit I can't forgive them I, I can't believe they did that and I'm gonna go tell everybody what they did to me I'm gonna go tell everybody how they how they how they treated me and how they talked to me, and I, I'm, I'm going to go talk to them. And I'm going to tell them, "Look, you, you've got to." I'm going to go talk to these people. And say, I want you to know what so and so did to me. I want you. If we're being honest in this room. How many of you have ever struggled with unforgiveness? Your pastor is going to be the first one to put his hand up. I, I have struggled with unforgiveness in my life. I've struggled with having to, to take it to the Lord in prayer. And then I've had the struggle of not taking it to the Lord in prayer because I know what the Lord's going to say and I don't want to hear it. Lord, I'm not going to pray about that. I know what you're going to say. But then unforgiveness eventually turns into bitterness. The Bible said in Hebrews 12, 15, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. For by it many become defiled. Listen to this: the word "root" here means the basic cause or primary reason for something. Bitterness means resentment. A root is something from which everything else flows. Some of you that struggle with chronic anger, that's just a symptom of the root of bitterness. Some of you that struggle with with chronic discontent, struggle with depression. That's just a symptom. There's a root that is the primary cause. And in a lot of cases, in my experience, in a lot of cases, it can be something from your childhood that happened, that you never healed from, or it's bitterness. And, and, And he says here in Hebrews, he said, bitterness springs up and causes trouble. This word trouble means disturbance, or annoyance or confusion, uproar. Or listen to this. This is the meaning of the Greek word. To be vexed by demons. Some of you are wondering why the spiritual attack feels so hard. And, and for some of you, you're, there's, there's not forward movement. You're saying, well, why is the devil attacking me? And I'm not really moving forward. It's because you've got bitterness. And you need the Lord to help you to heal and to Forgive. And this bitterness, and then he says it causes trouble and it defiles. The word defile here means to pollute or contaminate. Bitterness will contaminate your entire life. How many of you have ever met a bitter person? Okay, all right, okay. Now let's turn them in. How many of you have ever looked in the mirror and met a bitter person? Just wake up grumpy. It's not even grumpiness. Just wake up and you're just, ugh angst and and aggravation and everything just is gray and and there's no joy and there's no peace and you're frustrated all the time and you're aggravated all the time because you're bitter. Nothing works where there's bitterness. Bitterness contaminates. It changes the whole outlook of life. And so you've got ministers and ministries who are trying to to go and do what they feel like God has called them to do, but they haven't forgiven and they haven't healed. And so everything about the ministry is bitter. I've seen it over and over and over and over again in my time of of ministry and life. And, And the frustration, and not just in ministry, but in life. Nothing is right in your marriage, it's always contentious, there's always fights, there's always issues, because there's bitterness. Then bitterness eventually, like we just talked about, turns to slander. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Listen, unforgiveness is the trap that keeps the person who is bitter bound. Unforgive, offense and unforgiveness starts it. And if you cannot, by the power of the Holy, listen, you can't do it. But if you don't let the Holy Spirit unlock the trap, take your leg out of the trap and mend it, do you know what happens to something that gets infected and isn't treated? You gotta cut it off. And God does not want you to be cut off He doesn't want your calling your life your purpose to be cut short So you've got to let him open the trap pull you out mend you back together so that you can walk right? If You're still with me say I'm there So here was the response of the master to the servant. I forgave you 20 years worth of wages and you couldn't forgive one day not, you couldn't forgive one day of wages. So here's the response. At first, it was him and his family that were going to go. They were just going to go to prison. Now it's him, his family, and now he is going to be delivered to the torturers because he wouldn't forgive. And Jesus said, so will my father do to each one of you who does the same. So, so now let's talk about it. How do we walk in forgiveness? Matthew chapter 18 verse 27 I believe gives us a very simple and a real blueprint for how to walk in forgiveness. It says this, then the master of that servant was moved with compassion released him and forgave him the debt. The first thing we read here is that The master had compassion. The word here means to love, to have one's heart go out to someone or to have pity on. This phrase indicates that he was moved in a deep place. And I I know the prosperity gospel doesn't preach this often. So if you're hook, line, and sinker in the prosperity gospel, let me help you. The Bible tells us to love our enemies. I know that's so backwards from how we want to operate but the Bible tells us to love Uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 43 beginning and you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy there it is again you have heard that it was said that you should love your enemy love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I say to you what's he doing he's flipping the standard but I say to you love your enemies Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Last week we talked about gossip and slander. That a gossip and a slander disqualifies themselves from being called a son. Someone who has no love in their heart also disqualifies themselves from being a son. If, if you will be sons if you love your enemies. This word love... There's all the different words for love, and the one that has the deepest meaning, everybody knows it, agape. Do you know what one another love that Christ uses here talking about enemies? Agape. He, he's not saying love them on surface level. He's not saying love them at a distance. He is saying love them deeply. And, and so this word agape. Translated means to love, listen, based on regarded value. Here is the reality. If you hurt me, that does not change the fact that you were created in the image of God just like me. And because you were created in his image, I am required to value you. As a disciple, I am required to value you. And so Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. That's easy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Uh, uh, Deeply regard your enemy. Bless them. The word bless here means to ask God to bestow favor upon them. Do good to them. Pray for them. This doesn't feel good, does it? It didn't feel good to me either when I was studying it. But it'll get you right if you obey his word. Do good to them. Bless them. So the first thing he did was he had compassion for him. And I just feel like in the church in America, we need a baptism of the love of the Holy Ghost in our life. Come on, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have... Not love. I'm but a resounding symbol. I just make a bunch of noise and I don't do anything that adds to any value to anybody. And he goes on to say love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. It is not self-seeking. Love rejoices in the truth. Love does not keep record of wrong. Hello. Love does not keep record of wrong. And Jesus instructs us to love our enemies. Here's what I've known about him. If he instructs me to do it, he'll empower me to live it. Love your enemies. Keep no record of wrong. Here, I want to challenge you and then we're going to move. Matt, you can go ahead and come on. We're going to move quick. I want to challenge you. I want you to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 13 either later, not right now, later today when you go home or when you go study your Bible. And instead of love, I want you to put your name wherever love is. You know what that will do? Boy, let me tell you what, when I did that, I've never felt conviction so quick in my life. Michael is patient. Michael is kind. Michael doesn't envy. Michael doesn't boast. Michael is not proud, not self-seeking, Michael keeps no records of wrong, Michael rejoices in the truth. And you say, well, isn't that kind of proud? No, what happens is you start reading that and really taking inventory of your life and you let the Holy Ghost convict you and talk to you and you're going to say, Michael is kind and the Holy Ghost is going to say, (laughs) that's hilarious. (laughs) And You know what you're going to realize? maybe I'm not as kind as, maybe I don't have love in my heart like I thought I did. Michael's not proud. Maybe I don't have love in my heart like I thought I did. Some of you in your marriages, you keep long lists of records of everything your spouse did wrong. That's not love. I'm sorry. I know you want to be vengeful and you want to be right more than you're reconciled, but that is not the way of the Father well don't you remember six years ago when you said this to me that six years ago love keeps no record of wrong okay so here's the first thing the master had compassion I want you to put one hand on your heart and I want you to say Lord just say it say Lord help me to love the people that the world wants me to cancel Help me to love the people who have hurt me. Help me to love the people who have caused me pain. Help me to see them the way you see them. Align my heart with yours. All right. So he did that. He had compassion and then the second thing he did is he released him. Listen to what this word release means in the Greek. It means to set free or release from control. How many of you have been trying to control someone that doesn't even know they're under your control? Let me say it this way. How many of you have been trying to control someone that isn't letting you control them because they have no idea you're trying to control them. You're just living your life, trying to create a narrative about this person that doesn't exist. Now, you know, there's all the quotes about forgiveness. Forgiveness is like the, like drinking rat poison and waiting for the other. Un- unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the other person to die. Unforgiveness doesn't hurt the person you're mad at, but it costs you everything. So, you've got to ask yourself the question what is this grudge I'm holding worth? Because you duplicate what you demonstrate. So, is it worth your children being bitter and unforgiving and having their whole life soiled because you chose not to release and be obedient to the Lord? Here's the last thing he did. He, he had compassion on him. He released him. And lastly, he forgave him. This word forgive means to release a person from an obligation to pay a debt. Mark eleven twenty-five. and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have done anything against anyone so that your Father who is also in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Luke 17, verse 3, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You must forgive him. I want you to listen to me. One of the greatest marks of the last day bride and spiritual maturity is the ability and the decision to lay down justifiable offense some of you I've been preaching and you hear me talking about forgiveness and unforgiveness and you're like I am right to be unforgiving I am right to be bitter I am right to feel this way and you very well may be but there is no asterisk next to the verses in the Bible that say to forgive forgive only if you're wrong Forgive only if it's not justifiable. That's not in the Bible. I'm sorry. It's not there. And, and, and to, let, to be able to lay down justifiable offense is to know we are ready for the bride to return. Because he's coming to find a bride that is without spot and blemish. We're ready for the bridegroom when we can say, you know what, you hurt me and I've got a reason to be mad and I have every right to be mad at you, but I forgive you. Some of you in this room, you're listening to me and you're saying, I am tired of being the bigger person all the time. I'm tired of being the first one to say sorry. I am tired of being the first one to forgive. I am tired of being the one that has all this stuff done to me. When am I just gonna be able to walk away? You can't. The Holy Spirit will help you. He's in this room right now to help you. The Bible calls him our helper. He will help you heal from the things that people have done to you, said to you. It is on you to say, God, I release them. I release them. Stand on your feet all over the room this morning. Release them. Could be a father, could be a mother, could be a somebody, a family member, it could be anybody. Somebody who hurt you. Listen to me. God wants to help you forgive.